I imagine many of us kind of feel like here we are, Christmas is over, and we're getting ready for the new year, right? But in the traditional church calendar, Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's the four Sundays and those days leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas. And then when Christmas Day hits, that's actually the beginning of the Christmas season, which lasts for 12 days, which is why we have the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. And so we're still in the thick of the Christmas season here in the traditional church calendar. And, you know, obviously, I don't know if anyone is just sick of Christmas already. I think it would be great to have Christmas the whole rest of the year, at least until this pandemic's over. It might bring us some more joy as we face these challenging circumstances. But uh, kind of in that spirit of Christmas, we want to continue in that vein today. But I want to talk to you and, and, and give you a message from the book of John. And if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 1. But the funny thing is, John is one of the Gospels that actually doesn't mention Christmas. So we're going to have a Christmas sermon from a Gospel that doesn't mention Christmas, if that's all right. But what John does that's the same as Matthew and the same as Luke is that he starts with the Incarnation. Do you guys know what Incarnation means? This is the moment in time when Jesus, the eternal God of the universe, took on flesh and became human like one of us. For all of our Latinos in the audience, uh, you know that carne means meat. And uh, if you know, I was looking up words related to carne this week just because I'm a curious person. Uh, you know, we, you've probably heard of carnal sins. Those are sins of the flesh. Um, you've heard of a carnivore. That's someone or something that eats meat. Um, you've heard of carnage, the destruction of bodies, the destruction of flesh. Reincarnation, where you leave your body, your spirit leaves your body, and then it comes back into a body, reincarnation. And then the fun one that I found out was carnival, which actually comes from an Italian word. And if you know the history of carnival or carnival, in, like in, in, in uh, St. Louis, they, I mean St. Louis, um, New Orleans, they do carnival. And carnival is what kicks off, uh, it's with Mardi Gras, it's what kicks off Lent, and it's the time when you get rid of all the meat from your house because you fast from meat during Lent. So carnival means to remove the flesh, remove the meat. Um, and so this is that, that word, incarnate, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where he was the eternal spirit, God himself, who then takes on flesh. And so this gospel of John in chapter 1, it presumes Christmas. It, it needs Christmas in order for these truths to be true, for it to be real. And so John, John assumes the story of Mary and Joseph who hear from the angel and submit to the will of God and, and, and really just decide to respond in faith to this proclamation that the Holy Spirit was the one who caused Mary to be pregnant, even though she had never been with a man. Uh, for Joseph to take her as his wife, even though it seemed in the natural like he had betrayed her, that he knew in the spirit that she had not. And he knew because of this angel. And this is why uh, it presumes this idea of, of the, the name Jesus, the story that we get where Joseph is told his name will be Jesus because Jesus means the Lord saves and then the Gospels also tell us that it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So John starts his Gospel with the assumption that all those things are true and what he's doing is he's kind of giving us a theological perspective on the birth of Jesus Christ. 
So he doesn't just tell the story. He tells the why behind the story. He tells the what is happening behind the scenes that we don't get to see in the story. And in just a few short paragraphs, he's able to show us what God is up to, what our great need is, and how through Jesus Christ our need is met and we find salvation. And so that's the Christmas story that we find in John chapter 1. We're going to read through here and really just kind of go through the first 18 verses primarily. Uh, and what I'd love to do is some of this stuff we actually, my, my dad came over, uh, I guess it was in the fall, and preached, and he preached on John 1.1. 1, 1. And so if you want a more technical analysis of that verse, you're welcome to go find that sermon. Uh, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective today. So if you're there in John 1, let's read together. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so we have the Word is an allusion, is allusion to Jesus, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God. And it says that He was with God in the beginning, but He also was God. And so we know from this, this is one of the texts that we use to understand the Trinity itself, that Jesus both is God and he's also with God, meaning there's three persons in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but they're also equally and they coexist as God. Not that they combine to become God, not that they're each a third of God, but somehow in the mystery of the Godhead, they are each fully God in their essence. And yet in their persons, there are three distinct individuals. And this is the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is, this is why it's possible that the Christmas story can be true. This is how the Holy Spirit can come and cause Mary to conceive at the will of the Father and then gives birth to Jesus, the Son of God, because they're separate persons. So it says, He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is the one creating. And it's been pointed out that in the book of Genesis, it says, uh, uh, in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth, the world was formless and void. So the world did not have its full shape and it was empty. And how does God give it form and how does he fill it? Well, he speaks his word. And so it's been noted that Jesus is the word, ultimately, that God spoke to create the universe and to create the world. And it says the spirit of God was hovering over the deep. And so you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit present in Genesis chapter 1. And in a sense, this is John's commentary in John chapter 1 of Genesis chapter 1. And he uses those same words, in the beginning. In the beginning. But here's what he says about the Word. Here's what he says about Jesus. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus is the life, and in his life is the light. And John uses this language of life and light all throughout his gospel, and even in his letters, like 1 John, 2 John. And we see this theme running through. And light is a reference uh, to the idea of, of holiness. So light is contrasted with darkness, where darkness is evil, and light is holiness. Light is a symbol of truth. So when you walk in the light, you're walking in truth. And when you walk in the darkness, you're walking in lies. So you guys might remember uh, in John chapter 3, after the famous verse where it says, 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he goes on to say, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but the world condemns itself by not believing him because there are men who do deeds in darkness and they don't want those deeds to come into the light. And so light is this truth about what's happening. It's the holiness in contrast to, to evil. And it's also just this idea of exposure, being open, being alert, being aware of the truth of your situation. And so Jesus is this light. He's the one who gives vision to us to see our circumstances, right and wrong, whatever they are. In fact, later in, in the book of John, Jesus is preaching and it's coming close to the moment where he's going to the cross and he says, walk while you still have light before the darkness comes so you can see the way. And so John is using this language all throughout his writings of life and light. It's Jesus, you know, Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so what we get from this is just this idea right here in the beginning of the book of John that Jesus is God, that he's also the Son of God, that he's the creator of all things, and that he is life itself. So if we want to have life, then we need him. And he is the one who brings light to the world. And what does it say in verse 5? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus came into the world. Of course, John is writing after Jesus has already died, after he's already been raised from the dead, after he's already ascended into heaven. He's sharing his story of this Jesus who did those things, the Savior who'd come. And, and John is writing with the knowledge that Jesus was put to death, but death and sin and evil and Satan did not overcome him because he was raised again from the dead. And so John is putting the gospel right in to the very first words of his message here. So the light shines in the darkness. Jesus came into a dark world, but the darkness has not overcome it. And he goes on to talk about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John is there just to tell people the light of the world is coming. The Messiah is coming into the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this is his message. He's there preparing the way for Jesus. Because this person who is life, who's the creator himself, he, he's the sustainer of all that's created. He's the redeemer of all that's created. The, he is, in essence, life. He's coming into the world. But there's a real problem that we have. So in verse 9, John says, The true light that gives life, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, so not just by him, but through him, uh, the world did not recognize him. So the one who creates the whole world, who is light and life itself, comes into the world, but the world doesn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I believe that's an allusion to the fact that Jesus came first to the Jewish people, but the Jewish people did not accept him. I think that's what that's an allusion to, not just that he came to humanity, but he came even to his own people, the people of God, and they did not recognize him. They did not accept him. 
Uh, they did not receive him. And so John, right here, again, in the first chapter, first few verses of his gospel, he shows us the problem that we have. You know, other writers in the gospels and in the scripture say the same thing in different ways. Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Uh, there's uh, this idea that we all have rejected Christ. We all have turned our back to him. Uh, not only, uh, I mean, most especially before we became believers. So most of us in this room, a lot of us remember a time when we were not believers. We remember a time when we were not walking with the Lord. Uh, for those of us who don't remember, it still, it still was there. It still happened. Uh, but maybe we were just very young. But even after accepting Christ, how many times have we rejected the light? How many times have we been like those men in John 3 who wanted to keep our deeds in darkness and not exposed by the light? And so John says, look, we have a problem. This world has a problem. There is evil in the world. There is darkness in the world. There is death in the world, right? And we see this. You know, it's a, the tragic event that happened on Christmas in Nashville where this, you know, car bomb goes off in the middle of Nashville. And we think, what in the world's going on? And, you know, of course, here in our country, we have a relatively stable uh, social structure. In other countries, bombings happen all the time. In other countries, there's violence regularly. Uh, we, we see these things on the news and we think, what's, what's going on with the world? Uh, we see the heartache. We see the tragedy in our own lives and in the lives of people we care about. And we say, Lord, there's darkness in this world. You know, I've heard it said that if there's a loving God, then why can there be so much evil in the world? But I've also heard it said that only if there were a loving God could there be so much good because we see the darkness all around us. And John, what he does is he actually, I told you that John 1 is kind of a commentary on Genesis 1. Well, John, it seems later, gives a little commentary on John 1 in 1 John 1. And so I want to turn there for a moment to 1 John chapter 1. And then you see this language again. In John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning. And he uses that language of beginning again. This is the third you know, time in the scripture that a book opens with this, this uh, word. It says, uh, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So again, John is using this word life and word to refer to Jesus, who was with the Father, but he came to earth, and he was with us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And then what he does is he talks about the light and the darkness. And he talks about the, the negative responses we have to the light. And then he talks about the positive responses that we can have to the light. And what, what I'm going to invite you to do in a moment as I share these is just take stock and say, which of these types of responses 
are the kind of responses that I can have? What are the types of things that I fall into? Or what good responses do I have to the light? So in verse 5, it says of 1 John 1, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So God is light. In him, no darkness at all. And here's the first possible response. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Okay? So we claim to walk with him, but we actually walk in darkness. What does that sound like? That sounds like hypocrisy to me. That sounds like uh, I'm going to pretend I'm one thing, even though I'm something else, because I don't want you to know about it. You know, one of the things that Christians are charged with regularly is being hypocrites. And um, there's one type of response to that charge, which would be, well, so are you. (laughs) So are you a hypocrite. And it would be true. But there's a different kind of response to say, yes, I am a hypocrite. And then what am I going to do about it? And so John gives the answer right here. He says, if you, if you claim to have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, you lie. But if you walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. So the opposite of walking in darkness here, the opposite of that, that hypocrisy is a type of appropriate and holy transparency. Is to say, hey, I've got sin but I'm going to bring it out into the light. I'm going to expose it. I'm going to put it there for all to see, and then God will forgive me of my sins. So it's not that you're sinless. It's that you acknowledge that you're a sinner, and you find the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. And so you can either be a hypocrite, or you can acknowledge your shortcomings, acknowledge your failures, to live, to live transparently to the world so that when they say, uh, you're a hypocrite, You could say, actually, you're right. I am a hypocrite. I'm going to bring this out into the light because the easiest way to not be a hypocrite is to admit your failings, right? That is the easiest way to not be a hypocrite anymore is to acknowledge what you've done. So John goes on to a second way that we respond. He says, well, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So now we've got this uh, self-justification going on where we say, well, actually, that that wasn't even a sin. That wasn't wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have sin. But we've lied to ourselves. The the antidote to self-justification is confession. Right? Into verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will purify us our sins and purify us, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So John sets up, we can be hypocrites or we can be open and honest and transparent. We can be self-justifiers where we explain away our sin and say we don't have sin or we can confess our sin and repent of it. And then he gives one final way. So it's not just uh, deceiving ourselves, but he says if we claim to we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So one is we kind of lie to you, right, hypocrisy. The other is I lie to myself, self-justification. 
And then the final one is to actually claim to be perfect. So this idea of perfectionism. Well, I'm just going to try so hard that I won't have any sin. But if you can be perfect, then what does that mean? That means God's a liar because he says you can't. God says you can't be perfect. And in fact, uh, not only does he say you can't be perfect, he sent his son to die based on the premise that you can't be perfect. Jesus became incarnate, walked this earth, and died that death on the cross specifically because God said, you can't do it. You can't be enough. So if you claim to be enough, you're making him a liar. So either I'm lying to you, I'm lying to myself, or God's a liar. Those are the three options on the negative side when the light comes. Well, what's the opposite of making God a liar? Well, he says it in verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the opposite of perfectionism is admitting the need of a Savior, admitting that you need an atoning sacrifice. So again, we can be hypocrites or we can be transparent. We can be self-righteous or we can confess our sins. We can pursue perfectionism, that we would never sin, or we can admit our need for an atoning Savior, a sacrifice that would redeem us from our sins, that would pay the penalty for our sins. And that is what Jesus offers us. That is what really, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, we're talking about a baby born in Bethlehem, but that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the redemption of people. It's all about the saving of sinners. Christmas is all about the fact that we're either hypocrites, self-justifying, or pursuing this perfectionism that makes God a liar. But Christmas says we don't need any of those three responses because Jesus came to be our rescuer. We can be honest about our situation and transparent. We can confess our sins. And we can put our hope in our atoning sacrifice that is Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1, there's that same message. It said, He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. How did God do this? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The one who is life, the one who is light, took on humanity, took on flesh, became like you and me and entered into the world. So, so Jesus, who is the light and life in a dark world, came, the world rejected him, the world rejects the light, the world rejects holiness, the world rejects the truth. So what does God do? He enters the darkness to be the rescue plan. God doesn't just give us a rescue plan, he becomes the rescue plan. God doesn't just call us out of darkness, he enters into the darkness with us so that he can take us to a different place. Paul uses the same language in Colossians when he says, 
that, uh, that we have become uh, children of the kingdom of light. We've been taken out of the king kingdom of darkness. And he uses, he uses kind of like a mixed metaphor there. He says the kingdom of darkness and brought him to the kingdom of his son. But who is his son? His son is light itself. So out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. But that doesn't happen by just him calling from heaven and saying, hey, down there, look up here. I got good stuff up here. You don't have to be in that squalor. You can come be in a better place. No, he actually steps into it with us. Now, it's so important that Jesus does this because as we read in other places in Scripture, for example, uh, like in Hebrews, chapters 1, primarily in chapter 2, um, we, have, we, have pay, we have committed a crime against an infinite being. And therefore, our penalty for our crime is too heavy for us to bear. You know, we intuitively know that the greater the authority that you offend, the greater the penalty is. I've used this analogy before, but if you're in grade school and you hit your friend, well, you're probably told to stop it. Teacher says, don't do that. Don't hit your friend. If you hit the teacher, you go to the principal's office. Right? Don't hit the if you're going to hit someone, hit your friend. Don't hit the teacher. The teacher's a higher authority. If you hit the teacher, you go to the principal's office. If you hit the principal, they call the police. If you hit the police, you go to jail. You see the point. If you, uh, if you randomly attack someone in the street and the police officer's there, they'll try to stop you. If you randomly attack the President of the United States, they'll shoot you. You know, we understand these things in the natural. And it's the same with the Lord. He's the highest, most powerful, and infinite being that created the universe. And so when we sin against him, the penalty is steep. And the Old Testament even tells us that we cannot pay the, our penalty for our sin. We, the only way we can do that is with our very lives. And we certainly can't pay for someone else's penalty for their sin. We're not, we're not worth enough, if you will. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but you know... Uh, uh, if, if your life will pay for your sins, then you don't have anything left to pay for someone else's. So the only one who can pay the infinite price for our sins is an infinite being, Jesus, the Word who was God and the Word who was with God, who was with God in the beginning, who made all things that have been made. Only He could be the one to pay our penalty. But in the same way, only one who was like us could pay the penalty. So we learn in scriptures that, you know, for example, there's, there's no offer of redemption for the angels because Jesus didn't become an angel. He became a human. And so he can only die for his brothers. And so when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he was doing it for humanity. As John said in 1 John that, uh, he is our atoning sacrifice and the sacrifice for the whole world. Because Jesus is infinite, he can pay the full price. Because he's human, he can stand in our place. If those two things were not true, we would not have hope in this world. If another human stood in for us, they can't pay the price. If God somehow died, but he wasn't human, then it, 
we couldn't receive the benefit because it wouldn't be applied to us. But in Christ, these two things are true. God is the rescue plan. He's, he's everything we need for salvation and for hope in the world. And so, when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he's calling people to Christ, he says, look, the Lamb of the God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John can say this because somehow in, in the Spirit or his reading of Scripture or some combination of that and other things, who knows, he understands that Jesus is going to be our sacrifice. And that sacrifice will be enough for the whole world. And so we're tempted when we look at our manger scene and we see the little baby there. We're tempted to say, oh, how cute. How precious. And it is cute and it is precious. Uh, it's not that it's not those things. But to understand that when Jesus entered into the world, that he had in mind, and the Father had in mind, and the Spirit had in mind, incredibly powerful, important, life or death uh, mission. Right? Life and death for him, life and death for us, and for all humanity. You know, it would be a big enough deal if God took on flesh and became a baby and then didn't do anything for us. We wouldn't necessarily be as excited about it. But that would be a pretty big deal, wouldn't it? If just God shows up on earth and walks around for 30, 33, 30, however many years he walked on earth, that would be a pretty big deal, even if he didn't do anything else. But again, the story of, of Christmas, the thing that makes Christmas Christmas is that God had a plan for Easter. Is that God had a plan for your salvation and for mine. And so we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. This is not just uh, a message of an oppressed people who need to bow to their creator. This is the message for a redeemed people whose creator king became the lowest form possible for our benefit so that we wouldn't remain where we are, but rather we would be raised up to him. We would not be children of darkness. We would be children of light. We would not be uh, slaves in the kingdom of Satan, but daughters and sons in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so that is the story of Christmas. That is the message of hope that we have uh, in the gospel of John as he recounts his version of the Christmas story. So when it says in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That's why we light a candle for Christmas. That's why we have a light shining to remind us that even in our darkest state, even in the darkest circumstances that we face, even in the most dire and desperate and difficult challenges of this life, that God himself, who is life and who is light, 
has come into the world for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that, that this is true. We thank you that these stories are not just stories. And that the stories, uh, it's not just the recounting of circumstances. It's not just a historical recollection of what has happened. But it's a declaration and a proclamation of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do through Jesus Christ. These stories are a promise. These stories are our hope. These stories are our joy. Because we know that through Jesus, you have brought hope and life and light to the world. And we are recipients of that life and that light. And Lord, I pray that if anyone here who's watching doesn't know that hope, doesn't have that life, doesn't have that light in their life, Lord, that you would touch their hearts now. And if there's anyone there, anyone out here watching today who doesn't know that hope, I invite you to put your hope in this Jesus who came as a baby, who grew up and who gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours. And then he was raised from the dead, illustrating and displaying that the blessing of God was on him and that he had fulfilled the promise of redeeming us from our sins, that he had paid the price and the price had been accepted by God himself, the Father, and that you, like I, can have life through Jesus Christ alone. And so, Father, that's our hope this morning. That's where we put our trust, and that's where we find our joy. And so help us as we do sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Help us to remember uh, the truth behind that joy. This is not just a nice time of year. It really is like we, actually like we sang earlier in the, in the dark days of winter. Uh, and it may not be too dark today. But when we, when we feel like we're you know, out in the cold and the cloud, it's cloudy and, and wet, Lord, that your light broke into the world and brought hope for the future. So we put ourselves in your care in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.